Hey everybody, welcome back to the Grey Malkin Lane podcast. This is your host, Chad Anderson. We are breaking our regular format today to interview an iconic and influential artist uh, by the name of June Brigman. Uh, and I'm joined here by uh, Andre Mason returning to uh, co-host with me today. Uh, Andre and June, welcome to you both. Thanks for having me. Yes, it's always super fun to do these. What an honor to have you both here. Uh, just as we begin, if you guys want to just kind of briefly introduce yourselves, let people know what you do, uh, who you are, what your gender pronouns are. Uh, just tell us a little bit about yourselves. Let's go in the order of Andre and then June. Okay. So, um, hi everyone. My name is Andre Mason. I am a uh, art director by day and fanboy by night. <laughs> I go by uh, the pronouns and him. If you drop a girl, that's okay too. Um, uh, but pretty much, I am just a fanboy on a mission to unite the world of just discussing comic books in the most possible fun way. And then June, go ahead. Uh, yeah, uh, my name is June Brigman. Uh, I've been drawing comic books for a, a really, really long time. Uh, I guess my, my first and best known work is uh, Power Pack, which uh, the first issue came out in 1984. And I co-created that with uh, my writer, Louise Simonson. And I've worked on uh, a lot of different books. I worked on Power Pack for Marvel. Um, I was on Alpha Flight for a year, Barbie, She-Hulk, an issue of the X-Men. I've done some work for DC Comics on Supergirl. Uh, Dark Horse, Star Wars comics. Oh gosh, it kind of goes on for a while. And I, I've been drawing comics pretty much continuously for, well, since like 1983. Still working and staying busy. What are you currently working on? Uh, I just finished uh, a five-issue Power Pack miniseries. And okay. I wish I could tell you when it's going to come out. I'm hoping this summer but they haven't scheduled it yet. And um, uh, it's also, it's written by Louise Simonson. So it's kind of like getting the band back together and it takes place, it's classic power pack. It takes place in the 1980s. So like Julie doesn't read a Kindle, she reads books and um, <laughs> the styles are kind of 1980s. So that was that, and they, they've only aged like a year since, mm. um, since I last worked on the book. So I just finished that, and I'm now just starting on a, a comic book called Captain Ginger that I co-created with Stuart Moore, Moore, Moore for Ahoy Comics, and it's a 48-page sort of wrap-up to a 10-issue series that we did for Ahoy, and Captain Ginger is kind of like Star Trek, but with cats, and it's, a, it's, it's really good science fiction. It's a great read. And I'm doing that. And I also, along with my husband and writer, Karen Moy, do a newspaper comic strip. It's, it's published um, print and digital called Mary Worth. And that is published every day, every single day. And then I'm an adjunct professor of sequential art at Kennesaw State University in Georgia. Now, <laughs> I am a I am a long term Marvel Comics fan, and uh, the books were X Men particularly were super influential for me in my youth. I had a pretty troubled childhood, and it was a place to escape to, a place to find kind of love and understanding. 
And the first place I ever came across uh, your work, June, was in the early 200s run of the X-Men. I believe it was number 204, if I'm remembering right, where you did a uh, one shot with Chris Claremont uh, featuring Nightcrawler in Murder World. And one of the reasons your name stood out so much is I, I, that was the first time I think I ever recall seeing a female artist on a book. And I was really astounded by the heart that you put into your work. It was the action panels, but it was also just the very delightful, wonderful ways that you draw the sequentials, characters making a sandwich or sitting next to the pool and just the, the way it draws the eye in. Can we start there? Tell us about that issue of, uh, of the X-Men. What was it like to work with Chris Claremont working with Nightcrawler and Arcade? Uh, well, it was great. I mean, Claremont is, you know, legendary and he's just, he's such an amazing writer and he did create a world where it was, it was incredibly diverse, especially for the time. And, you know, just great characters, each one very individual, um, very unique. And um, that was my only, only time I worked on the X-Men, kind of a, a fill-in type issue. And it was a blast. Uh, I was still trying to learn. I, I was still really trying to figure out what I was doing with comics then. And I would, of course, that was such a long time ago, I would handle it very differently now. But I love drawing Nightcrawler. I mean, he's still one of my favorite characters to draw. And if I'm at a comic con and I get a commission to do him, I'm, a, you know, then I'm just like, yeehaw. Um, so yeah, it, it was a great experience. Uh, the the story itself involves nightmare uh, nightmare nightcrawler trying to uh, run through giant pinball machines to basically save the princess. Uh, you drew an iconic panel of Arcade in drag, calling himself uh, anti Arcade. I don't know if you remember that or not, but I remember. <laughs> I remember even back then, like, oh, this is great. It was a really that, really that sounds like yeah, that's classic Chris Claremont. <laughs> Andre, are you familiar with that issue? I am. I am. Um, and it was also one of the issues that I remember that stood out to me the most because it wasn't something you saw in comics at that time. So, I mean, especially on an impressionable young man as myself back then. So it's just like, wow, this is <laughs> this is pretty, pretty intense. The uh, the idea of a and I, I want to phrase this delicately, there were a handful of female writers back then. We had, uh, uh, you know, Louise Simonson and Anne Nesenti as examples uh, breaching into the Marvel realm, but there were so few female artists. And Marie Severin's one of the only few that come to mind. Tell us, uh, tell us about your kind of calling or your story into winding up in art and how you ended up working at Marvel in the first place, June. Uh, well, I had always drawn as a child. That was pretty much how I entertained myself was by drawing. I never looked at, never read a comic book until I was about, until I was about, yeah, I guess about 18, 19 was a freshman in college. And my boyfriend, now husband, Roy Richardson, um, had a big collection of comics with a, a comic fan and, um, also starting to work as an artist. And, um, he introduced me to the world of comics. I, at first I had no idea. He had to show me how to read a comic book. I didn't understand how to go from panel to panel, how the artist would just like guide your eye from one panel to another. Um, but I was, at the time I was majoring in art, knew I wanted to be a working money-making artist. Wasn't sure what direction I wanted to go in. And he took me to a comic book convention in Atlanta. And it was a very comic creator centric convention. It was an incredible uh, 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 
collection of now legendary artists there. Um, I think I, I met, I think Jim Steranko was there. I met Michael Kaluta, Bob McLeod, Joe Rubenstein, Gil Kane. And Gil Kane was the one that interested me the most. I think I spent most of the convention just sitting there watching him draw. And mm. I had never seen anybody draw like that before that could do, you know, these beautiful, believable, dynamic drawings of people without any photo reference or models. And that looked like a lot of fun to me. And I realized you could get paid for doing it. And it looked like more fun than going into advertising or even illustrations. So that was kind of the bug that, that sparked me to go in the direction of, of a comic book career. And then, and then how did you wind up at Marvel in the first place? I wound up at Marvel. I, um, I had become friends with a, a guy named Steve Ringenberg who was working at Marvel at the time. Not a, not, maybe he might've been an assistant editor, but we worked together on a job for DC. It was a, a book that DC had called The New Talent Showcase. And I did like a seven page story with Steve. And um, I had also done some work for a company in Florida um, owned by Bill Black called AmeriComics. So I had some things that had actually been published. I had those in hand. And Steve got me in the door at Marvel. And back then, you could do that. If you knew somebody that worked in the office, you would, they could get you in. You would sign in at the front desk and you could walk around from one office to the other showing a portfolio. And this was literal, you know, print hard copy artwork. And um, so that was how I got in the door. And that first trip, I, I met Larry Hama and he gave me a little backup story in Savage Sword of Conan. And then I also met Louise Simonson, who was an editor. And um, she said, you know, I got this idea for a, a book about sibling superheroes and can you draw children? I was like, yeah, I can, I could draw children a little bit. And, um, yeah, that was how I, I got my, my start at Marvel. Power Pack, I know, is beloved by so many. So many comic books were being written for boys, of course. Uh, and Power Pack struck me reading it. I, I didn't read it until the 90s. Uh, but reading it, it struck me as a book that was more for families, for girls, even for kids. Uh, but there was so much heart in the book. And the threats they were facing were so real, right from the snarks uh, on the way down. Uh, how was that book initially received? What was it like to work on that back at the beginning? I think it got a, a lot of um, a lot of critical praise, and it had a. I think the audience was pretty good. It has a small but lo very loyal following, um, and you know, even now I have I meet people at conventions who you know, they read the book when they were kids and now their kids read it. Mm -hmm. And um, it was, it was very well received because it was different. And that was sort of the blessing and curse of the book. I think it stood out and because it was different, it, it focused on very, very young superheroes. Um, but I think that maybe it just wasn't as widely read because of that either. Uh, I think, you know, the, maybe the older male audience wasn't really that that interested in child superheroes. But to me, the stories were, were very all ages. They were stories that, uh, uh, you know, a child could read 
and enjoy, but an adult could appreciate too. I, I think that the stories hold up pretty well. Tell us I, about Chris. Oh, I'm sorry, Andre, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, I, I agree with that because the way that particular group was set up, um, I thought was the opposite because of course, like when I was a kid, I didn't see any child superheroes. So Power Pack was that book. Um, and the stories that they dealt with were very adult. Um, even just like when they did the crossover with Wolverine, that like literally was just this grown man smoking around children. <laughs> and like, I was like, this isn't, this doesn't seem like it's for everyone, but clearly it is. So I'm like, I think that the, I think that impression that you created is, I mean, I, I can't even say, I don't even want to say the word legacy because legacy has been used forever, but it has been a long lasting impression and indelible because you set up this world that people can just go back into regardless of what the time frame is. And it's still a relevant thing about togetherness and family and just like these powerful beings who are just doing these impossible things. Yeah, I, I like to think it's it's pretty timeless. And um, Wheezy's writing to me is just like classic science fiction, sort of classic young adult science fiction, like a, the Robert Heinlein juvenile books or Andre Norton. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, they've aged really well. Are you close friends with Louise Simonson still? I am. I am. Uh, what, what's it like to work with her? Easy. She just, <laughs> she's, a, she's a great writer. And the way she writes, it's sort of in between... I don't know how, how familiar you are with uh, the Marvel method and full script. Uh, Marvel method is a little more open, um, allows a little more interpretation from the, from the artist. Uh, most writers now write full script where the, the writer has more control over pacing. And what Wheezy gives me is something a little bit in between. It's more fleshed out than your usual Mar Marvel method, but more open than full script and um and she's just also she's a she's good i mean she knows what she's doing um her pacing is great she's a great visual writer she never asks for too much on a page she knows what she's doing i know what i'm doing so you know <laughs> it, works out, it works out really well her uh, her X Factor and New Mutant runs are some of my most beloved comics ever. Uh, I I think of them fondly. Uh, now tell uh, tell everybody what the Snarks are. Well, I mean, the Snarks are well, they're your basic evil alien. Although I don't want to give away any spoilers in the um, the five issue miniseries that we just did. There's a snark princess, <laughs> which was interesting to draw. It's like, how do you make a lizard alien look cute? <laughs> so that was a bit of a challenge. So um, there, there's more to the snarks than than you may know. The, now, for our for our readers of current continuity, and uh, Andre, are you reading or did you recently read the Sword series? Yes. Uh, Al Ewing uh, used the Snarks in S.W.O.R.D. where they are in their war of succession, kind of killing each other off. And uh, yeah. Abigail Brand gets involved to try to get one on the throne. It, it was it was really entertaining. So for our current readers, the Snarks first appear uh, back in Power Pack and were created by uh, by June. Yes. June, are you familiar with the S.W.O.R.D. story I'm talking about? I'm not. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should check it out. Yeah, it's really good. There's a there's there's a faction of X Men in space, and uh, Abigail Brand is a half alien mutant who is trying to get uh, alien allies for the X Men. So uh, there are snark characters at war with each other, and she's having some of them assassinated to try to get uh, get everyone on her side. It's 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 a really interesting take, and yeah. and the snarks uh-huh. play a big role. What was that? A lot of politics, smart mm-hmm. politics. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's really fun. Now, uh, Andre, a moment ago, you referenced the uh, Power Pack crossover in uh, in X Men with uh, Wolverine and Katie. Do you uh, do you remember the story there? What happened? Um, vaguely, because it's been it's been some time since I've read those issues. Um, I, I just like I said, I just remember uh, the cover drawing me in. It was just this big Wolverine standing there with a cigar pointing at children like <laughs> i mean that's really all i remember from that issue there's a there's an iconic issue from the early 200s where it's wolverine and katie power and the morlocks and i remember being stunned as a reader because there's this child that's facing such large consequences and large danger uh but she's still just a little kid uh do you remember that issue june at all I don't think I drew that issue. You you didn't draw it. It just is using one of your characters. Uh, I I, I want to say it was either John Romita Jr. or Brent Anderson. Or mm. I don't think it was John Bogdanoff. I can't remember. I don't know. Um, but, I mean, it's, it's brilliant to combine a character like Katie, who's the, the youngest of the power pack group, though maybe the most powerful, with, yeah, a cigar-smoking flashing <laughs> rough guy like like Wolverine um I do have a funny Wolverine story because Andre was talking about you know yeah this guy who's smoking around children uh we did a story I think that came out like two years ago called Power Pack Grow Up it was kind of a part of Marvel was doing some classic characters classic versions of characters and it was just a one-off that Weezy and I did and um Kitty Pride and Wolverine show up and when I first, when the first time you see Wolverine, he's holding a cigar. He's smoking a cigar. Mm-hmm. And I had to change that. They were like, no, no, he can't do that anymore. He can't smoke. He can't. <laughs> I really didn't feel like redrawing the whole panel or pose or anything. So it's a pretty obvious fix. He's now about to eat a piece of gum. Instead of <laughs> he's holding a piece of gum. So they're a little insider story for you. Oh, that's fantastic. (laughs) That's so incredible. (laughs) Um, If you look at the book and you look at that panel, it's like, oh, come on. I bet that was a cigar. So, Oh, that's fantastic. Now I'm going to have to go back. I'm going to have to go back. I I remember reading that particular uh, issue, but now I'm going to have to go back because now you let this little gem out. Uh, June, you can draw a lot of different types of things. Now, I just posted an image in the chat that I came across when I was researching your work. You drew a pinup of three hunky X-Men guys running down the beach in swimsuits for the Marvel swimsuit special in 1994. And I was like, ooh la la. <laughs> tell, us, tell us about this piece of art. It was it was difficult to draw because they they wanted to see their butts. They wanted like a back butt view but we need to see their faces too. So I had them all sort of twisting and looking over their, their shoulders. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. huh? that was fun to draw. What, is that, what does that call sound like? June, we'd like you to draw three X characters, but we need to see their butts. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, that that was that was a challenge, but a, a nice challenge. <laughs> do, do you remember uh, who made that assignment? That's such a funny gig to get. I don't know. I don't know. It was fun. It was a fun time, you know, because there were books where you got to do pinup pieces like that. And um, it was inked by Tom Palmer, who is just amazing. So I was really glad to work with him. Yeah, Tom's uh, Tom's an incredible uh, artist as well. Uh, you've done a lot of different work over the years, and more in the X Men franchise than you're than you're stating here. You've done work on the Annuals and in the New Mutants and in X Factor. You've drawn some of people's favorite characters during some of their youth moments, and and it seems like you did get put into a category of drawing young characters there for a little while. Uh, in X-Factor, we got to see you drawing, uh, you know, Rusty Collins and Skids and Richter and, and Leech and Artie. Uh, uh, and in uh, New Mutants drawing the teen characters going through various missions. Do you have any, um, any fond memories of working on those issues? Well, I mean, I, I think um, with X-Factor, of course, I, I was working with Wheezy and then uh, the New Mutants, I'm trying to remember, there was a story I did with um, <sighs> Danny and her flying horse mm -hmm. that I'm trying to remember Chris wrote that or who wrote it. I believe that's the case, but I'll look it up as we're chatting here. But it was like a backup sort of story with Danny and her flying horse. And, um, you know, I loved, I loved getting to do that because I love drawing horses and um, you know, this young woman on a horse that can fly, that's, that's even better. So yeah, that was, that was a blast to get to do that. So I, I believe that was a backup story in, Oh no, no, it's new mutants number 56. Uh, 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 and it was written by Wheezy as well. It was written okay. by Louise. Right. Yeah. Uh, just looking that up. I reread that just the other day and then your alpha flight work, of course, which is, uh, which is through this. Now you did quite a bit of alpha flight work uh, with a lot of characters people wouldn't recognize nowadays for uh, purple girl and mannequin and, and others. But of course, North star is, is very beloved and Aurora is uh, actively, actively playing a role in the X-Men comics. Now uh, tell us a little about your alpha flight work. Uh, well, yeah, it was um, Bill Mantlo writing and um, I had always enjoyed the book. I, you know, I, I, I love John Byrne's work on it and it was, it, it was a good experience, but it was also difficult because I was really trying to, it was very hard for me to keep up with deadlines. And I wanted to be, um, I wanted a really nice, long, consistent run on the book, which I, I think I did for a year uh, without having to have any, any fill-ins. And um, so it was, it was a challenging time. There's some of the work I'm proud of. There's some of the work that I think looks really, really rushed because like I said, I was trying to meet my deadlines, but um, it was a very different book from, from Burns' run on it. Um, it was a much, the stories were much darker, the subject mm -hmm. matter heavier, and that was just, you know, that was just Bill Mantlo's take on the characters. But, um, but it, was, it was good, it was a good experience. I worked with some good people. Um, and it was it was one of the few times I've ever been able to produce a 22 page book every month with, you know, without having to have a fill in. That's challenging. That's a lot of that's a lot of work. I don't know that people take time to realize how much effort goes into working that consistently. What's it like to be on deadlines like that? Well, it's it's uh, 
it's like I said, it, it makes you produce. It makes you produce. It makes you figure out a way to get things done. And um, I don't think the, I think the deadlines are a little more lenient now because they're looking more at, you know, collecting for trade paperbacks. And I, I don't think there's any been any runs like, you know, Kirby and Senate doing a hundred issues of Fantastic Four. I, I don't know if that's ever going to happen again. Um, but the deadlines, I mean, I still have my husband and I produce a, a comic strip that's published every single day. And, um, you know, that's just, that's just part of the, the territory. You just have to be prepared for that, you know, the discipline it takes to get that done. Absolutely. Do you feel that it made you, it made you better at it during that time? It made me figure out what was important and what wasn't important. It mm -hmm. made me focus more on the essentials of storytelling, composition, drawing, not getting too caught up in details that nobody else is really going to care about but me. Um, I think it, 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 made, it did make me a better artist in a way, um, maybe a more disciplined artist, though I'm still, I'm, I'm sure edit my, some of my editors, if Carl Potts heard this, he'd be laughing. Um, but yeah, it's just having to produce. I tell my students, because I, I do teach part-time, and um, you can you know, hear the lectures, you can watch the YouTube videos, but you have to do it, you have to produce. And the first year I was working for Marvel, I got a lot, I did get a lot better just from having to do the work. Practice makes perfect. Now, one of your characters, Julie Power, has gone on to become an LGBT icon in a lot of ways, uh, which I'm sure you're aware of. Now, not only is she a character that literally has a rainbow trailing after her as she flies through the sky, but she is uh, she's she's come out as bisexual and has had serious queer relationships in the comics, kind of most prominently with Carolina Dean uh, from the uh, Runaways, uh, and and is just an iconic presence for a lot of queer readers who are really looking for that representation. And there's a lot of queer characters in comics now, but when she was revealed to be gay, which of course I'm sure was not the original plan when you designed her as a child, when she was revealed to be gay, it was pretty revolutionary for the industry because there still were not a lot of gay characters. Uh, do you remember hearing about that initially? And what's that meant for you to see her become that iconic uh, representation character? I'm just really glad that you know, this is a character that, you know, that, that readers can continue to relate to and an even, an even larger audience and a more inclusive audience. Um, I mean, no, uh, Louise and I certainly never imagined, I'm sorry, cat. Sorry about the cat butts. Come here, come here. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, certainly when we, we started the book, we were just thinking of them as teenagers and kids. We didn't know what these characters would grow into, um, how they would evolve. But for, for Julie to, to, you know, if she can represent gay, lesbian culture and readers can relate to that and maybe find something in that character that that speaks to them, that, that helps them, then it's wonderful. It's, it's kind of amazing. It's something I, I never 
thought of happening, but now that it has, it just adds, I think, even more dimension to the character and, and, and that, that book, that group of kids. How did you first hear that she had come out? I don't remember. I don't know if I heard it at a convention. I have to say, I don't always keep up with what's currently happening in comics. There's like, there's like 90 new books a month. I get it. <laughs> no, I, I don't read. If I, if I do get a current book, it's because of the artwork. I tend to just like look at the pictures. I would think probably somebody came up to me at a convention and let me know. Um, that's that would, because I also don't read a lot of fan press so I'm guessing that that's the most logical way I would have gotten that news. So, you know, it's, it's amazing to me that these characters that Louise and I created, you know, gosh, it's coming up on almost 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. They're around and they've evolved and, you know, they're maybe even stronger characters now than when we first came up with them. Andre, are you familiar with Lightspeed? I am. Yes. <laughs> Any thoughts on her? Um, no, outside of just uh, the character itself. Like, I mean, I think with all the characters that have come out in that era, I think they've gone ebbs and flows with uh, evolution. And I think that was going to be my question to, to you, June. Like, how do you feel about these characters kind of staying in a, in a capsule in a way that they're not allowed to grow up, that they're just kind of in this spot where they always have to be that we remember them. Well, I mean, when I draw them, I like to draw them as I did when I was first creating the book, just as an artist, I prefer to draw children. Um, I think that the fact that they are child characters, tends to make them more unique and stand mm -hmm. out. But I also enjoy that in the Marvel universe, there can be different versions that they can, you know, in a sort of alternate universe, they can grow up and, mm -hmm. they, and they can change in ways I probably would never have considered. Um, you know, they, they're kind of, it's kind of, like these little surprises, like you hear about some kid you knew when they were five or six and now they're all grown up and they're doing this or they're doing that. And it's like, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Up, they grow up so fast. They grow up so fast. Like, because you, you think about it, because like with, with Lightspeed, because that's, you know, currently Julie's code name, um, you have these things where you want them to grow up. You just have these really great uh, memories of them as kids and then like they get old and you're like I don't really want it <laughs> kind of like I want them to stay as they are but like you know that at one point in time these characters have to develop in some way for them to have a longevity there so I think that's also a very very big part of like being a part of that legacy um, and that goes for any of the other characters I mean outside of just I think uh, Julie's impact back to what uh, I was saying that I mean that Chad was saying that she is considered, I guess, valuable in a way, as far as a character is concerned. Um, so my question is to you, how do you feel about the value in these characters 
now versus then? I think it's, they are, are just as valuable and now maybe even to a broader audience, mm-hmm. larger audience, you know, um, I think you can look at the, the, the early versions of the characters and they're, they're these kids trying to figure out how to handle superpowers and keep it a secret from their parents. But then you can look at how they, they've grown up and evolved and had to face some very, you know, real life decisions and pain and grow in, in ways that, like I said, I, I could not have predicted. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to me, it's, it's in a way, it's, it's all good. If there are people still reading the book and still relating to whichever version of the character that, that speaks to them, that's great. Yeah. Power Pack has a lot of ties to the Marvel Universe. Franklin Richards joined the team for a long time. There's been crossovers with the X-Men and the Fantastic Four. Ryan North, who did The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, uh, one of my favorite books of all time, did a recent miniseries. Uh, they were also with, uh, 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 Alex was with the Future Foundation. There's been a lot of really key tie-ins. And people reading comics now, it's very different than going to the, you know, the newspaper racks and pulling them off the, the bins as we did back in the 80s and 90s. Uh, but these characters are iconic. They they changed a whole generation of representation. Now, you, uh, if I had to choose one single favorite issue of yours that I've seen, I, I just uploaded the cover into the chat. Uh, there's a lesser known X-Men story in Marvel Fanfare number 33, where you draw beautifully uh, Rogue and Magneto and Wolverine and others uh, facing a character named the Chief Examiner, who's kind of a, a random obscure villain. Rogue has the powers of of different characters in it, including She-Hulk and the Human Torch, and your action is just wonderful. Uh, if you if you can recall, I know it's been a long time since you've drawn a lot of these, but tell us a little bit about that story and what it was like to work uh, with Chris Claremont on that book. Ooh, that was a really long time ago. <laughs> 1987. <laughs> uh, gee, um, I, I, you know, it, it's always when you get to work on a flagship book like you know the x-men characters and you get to work with you know a a top writer with with claremont it's all good you know and it's it's an honor and the challenge is just you know doing artwork that's gonna be up to to the level of of the characters and and the writing you know um you, when you work with a good writer, you just, you want to do their work justice. So I can't, as far as remembering any like specific stories about that job, I'm sorry. I can't. No, no, it's okay. Anything. I, uh, I, I think the art and the action in it is beautiful. And Rogue is such a beloved, iconic character. When you see her flipping around with other people's powers, she's fully on fire or, you know, shifting into Hulk form. It just was so fun. Uh, and to see you, you know, go from drawing kids to drawing, you know, Magneto and Rogue is is really is really uh, delightful. You also drew a really incredible uh, backup story of Colossus returning home to his parents and his little sister in a classic yeah. X Men issue that was just lovely. I reread uh, the other day. Um, and when you put it all together, uh, June, you have a really impressive resume in Marvel and in the art industry, of course. But even for the X Men themselves, you've left a really indelible imprint on these characters when you when you stack up all the work you've done. 
uh, it's it's really quite impressive. Well, thank you. Um, if you had to choose a favorite X Men character, uh, both hero and villain, who would your favorites be? Uh, well, I mean, I I really do enjoy Nightcrawler a lot. I mean, just visually, you know, he's done in those blue black colors, so he always stands out. I love his, you know, his three to his toes and his fingers and you know he has a tail and and the Banff effect um it's he's a fun character to draw and I I always enjoy that and villains I don't know you might have to go back to the Hellfire Club mm. you know and the White Queen that stuff I mean it's pretty cool you know they're 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 they're, they're not your usual Marvel Universe villains, really. What do you like about the White Queen? Emma Frost is iconic for, for the queer community as well. Yeah. She yeah. said the magic words because Emma's my favorite. So, <laughs> yeah, I'd like to see. I'd like to see another. I well, I'd like to see you know Marvel get back, um, do you know, do an X Men movie, and bring that character back in the movie. I think January Jones played her. <laughs> and certainly looked the part. I don't know how into the role she was. Meh. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it's like watching paint dry. So I understand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. She's just, you know, she's got that, that little twisty side to her, I think. And you, you, she's, of course, very, very sexy. But, um, you know, she's not called Emma Frost for nothing. She's... Mm -hmm. She's a force to be reckoned with. I in, the, Emma. in the current comics, they the X-Men have set up their own nation on the living island of Krakoa. And it started out by Professor X and Magneto, but Emma has kind of taken over now. She's kind of running the government. Uh, so she's a, she's a big name. There's, there's some huge stuff. <laughs> that does not surprise you? That, that seems totally in character. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, you you got to draw the Hellfire Club, uh, New Mutants Annual Four, if I'm remembering, uh, in, in some really fun some really fun work uh, there as well. Uh, yeah, I'll I'll post some images when we do the social media uh, for all of this. Uh, so yeah, there's another mark you've left. Now your most recent X work uh, is in a side title. You drew uh, a couple of issues of Herc during the uh, Spider oh, Island event and. Hercules with Spider-Man powers is fighting uh, fighting Wolverine and Emma Frost and the X-Men. Uh, tell us a little about your work. That was very recent, actually. Uh, yeah, that was that was fun. That was kind of a, an out of the blue job, um, and you know, it was it was the the writing on it was so good, and there were some really funny humorous parts. I mean, Herc is you know such a, a fun character, and Herc and a Spidey outfit is even more fun and all the different versions of Spider-Man. And it was just, it was a great superhero job. And I got to draw, you know, the X-Men and it was just, I liked that it had humor to it. It was fun. What can I say? It was a your, uh, your Hercules was pretty sexy. Andre, I think you'd be a big fan. <laughs> I mean, I remember the issues. It was, it was, <laughs> it was pretty, it was pretty uh, hot and ballroom. So, yeah, <laughs> it definitely <laughs> it was definitely there. Um, Hercules, Hercules seems like your type. <laughs> I mean, yeah. This is, 
<laughs> to piggyback off of uh, some of your newer work, June, um, there were some covers you did for some recent X-Men books. Well, I mean, not recent, but like in the last several years. Um, how does it feel drawing characters that you're not familiar with? Because I know that there was a, a, a few issues that uh, covers that you draw with like uh, some of the newer X-Men characters that weren't just like the original five. I'm trying to remember what it, what I did. Um, um, I think it was it was like an all new X-Men. I think it was around that time when they brought the original five from the past and they were living in the present for a little bit. And it was like they were intermingling with um, some of the newer characters that were out there. I did covers. I believe so. Hold on, let me um, bring it up. I, I, you know, it when you get to my age and you've been doing this for this long. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> I have. Yeah. Hold on. Hold on. I, 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 did I draw that? Oh, I did. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm gonna drop it in the chat. I just actually happened to find it. Because yeah. um, I was um, looking up your covers that you had done that I remember on the spin racks in like a 7-Eleven. So like, I remember like the cloak and dagger uh, issue that you did. So there was like things that I remembered um, and this oh, one came up. Okay, I'm sorry. Now I, I do remember that. Yeah, yes. that was fun because I mean, it was it was a, a fun uh, premise with the, the cat, you know, uh, in the tree and, and, and Tom Palmer inked this and I always love working with him. So yeah. I've forgotten about that cover, and it wasn't, and it was fairly recent. But um, yeah, it was yeah, like in the last you know six or seven years, maybe I think, because it's it's been a minute since the uh, the all new X Men issue came out. Right. Uh, yeah, it was fun. It was another one of those jobs, kind of out of the blue, and it's like uh, the cats up the tree, and I love drawing cats, and you know, I, I also have you know always have cat reference around, so. <laughs> which definitely helps the matter <laughs> um uh we are nearing our our time june i saved this for last just because it's so fun uh at the back of power pack number one how how recently have you read power pack number one has it been a while um it probably has i i think i reviewed it i went up um just a few years ago, they had Weezy and I do uh, interviews for the Marvel series of 616, uh, the higher, farther, faster episode. Oh, the yeah, the documentary series. Yeah, yeah the documentary series. And I was went on the on the plane on the way up. I had the um, the classic Power Pack trade paperback, like reviewing stuff because <laughs> <laughs> I'd really you know, really thought about it. So I wanted to be ready for the, um, the interview. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I do remember the first issue. So at the back of Power Pack number one, it runs a little biography of you. And this was written in 1984. Let me read this out loud and just hear your reaction because it's kind of a fun little time capsule. June Brigman was born on October 25th, 1960 in Atlanta, Georgia, and has been drawing since she was old enough to hold a pencil. Her first attempt at storytelling, a drawing of two horses done when she was three, still hangs on her parents' wall, a dejected horse moping under a dark cloud, and a happy horse standing beneath the sun. She didn't read comics as a child. In fact, she was 19 before she seriously looked at a comic. She's taken art courses at the University of Georgia and Georgia State University, but her illustrations are solidly based on real-life observation and skills she developed over a summer as a pastel portrait artist at Six Flags Over Georgia. Everybody wanted their kids drawn, June says. We were supposed to do a portrait in two minutes, but I took a lot longer. I still take too long. 
Maybe so, but the work is worth the wait. On a recent trip to the Marvel offices in New York, Louise Simonson saw her sample pages and, quote, blown away by her quality, end quote, mentioned a project she was developing with kid superheroes, a project in need of an artist. Thanks to her portrait experience, June could draw kids as well as she could draw everything else, and the rest is history. June has loved horses since she was small and continues to ride every chance she gets, which isn't nearly often enough these days. She is a self-avowed Bruce Springsteen freak. She has no children of her own, but says the four power pack kids are enough for anybody. <laughs> Still true. All still true. <laughs> it's such a delightful little time capsule biography of your life. But obviously a lot has changed since then. But what's it like to hear that? Well, you know, it's it's, you know, the more things change, more things stay the same, I guess. You know, I still love Springsteen. Uh, still no children. I have seven cats. Uh, I have a horse that I ride two or three times a week. I uh, still love drawing children, drawing power packs. So, yeah, in a way, nothing's really changed. Uh, what What's the name of your horse and what's your favorite Springsteen song? Uh, Thunder Road, mm -hmm. my favorite Springsteen song. Okay. And the name of the horse is Isabel. Excellent. Uh, what a delight to get to know you better and just to hear about your process and see the personality and the person behind your wonderful and incredible work. Uh, I am such a huge fan and it's such an honor to sit down and share this time with you. Um, Andre, do you have any final questions for June? Um, I think one, um, because again, this is about relevancy and just where we are in the world. Um, because when I was a kid, I didn't know that you were a woman because it didn't really say your full name whenever you did like a cover, it was just like Brigman. That was, you know, usually with, you know, whoever else was either inking it or was writing it. So what can you say to the current generation of female artists and what they can do to kind of show that the, the, there are women artists and comic artists at that? Because you have some that are out there that are, you know, not struggling, but they are trying to get their names at the table with everyone else. Um, I guess I would say to them is, is stay focused. Just stay focused on, on doing good work mm -hmm. and your, your work will speak for itself. I think it's in a way, it's a wonderful time to be, to be an artist in comics because uh, there are so many styles you can work in now. Mm -hmm. And I, if I had a word of advice to give to any, any artist trying to break in, I would say, find your own style, find your own voice. Don't copy a style that a thousand other artists are copying. Yes. And um, I, I think, you know, there's a lot of talk about women in comics. I think the industry in general is very welcoming. I think the blowback comes from social media. Mm -hmm. And, the and toxic fans, absolutely. But um, in general, I, I think the industry is still like it was when I started, which was, was very welcoming towards women. Mm -hmm. So I would say to a young woman artist, go for it, go for it. Uh, June Brigman, I think you are legendary. I think you have carved out a place uh, in the hearts of a lot of people. Thank you so much for spending your afternoon with us today. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. 
my honor. And Andre, thank you for being with us again. I so appreciate your charm and charisma as always. I do uh, my best. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> uh, we will see you guys back next week uh, or on our next episode of Game Moth and Lane. We're going to be reviewing uh, X-Men number 35 called Along Came a Spider with the incredible uh, uh, letterer in the industry, Ariana Mare. Uh, and we will see you guys back here next time. 